Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. In there, he specifically was like, hey, look, the way you make money is when the price goes up. And the price goes up or down if you're going short and the price goes up in a trend. So follow the trend and it makes your life so much simpler. And I'm like, whoa, thank you for just distilling it down to the basic. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Today's episode is produced in partnership with FinClub.ai. Trade with confidence and take the guesswork out of trading with FinClub's artificial intelligence platform. Now you can get access to the best AI trading platform on the market for as little as $19 per month. That's almost the price of Netflix. So head on over to FinClub.ai to start your two-week free trial right now. Remember, that's at FinClub.ai. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest online, JC Peretz. Now, JC, he's a he's a after my own heart. He's uh, he's the founder and head trader over there at All Star Charts. And also, he is a uh, podcast host as well for Technical Analysis Radio with J.C. Peretz. J.C., I'm really excited to have you on today. It sounds like you and I have a, a lot that we can chat on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I, uh, I appreciate it. Happy to talk charts and markets on a Friday morning anytime you'd like. You know what? Charts and markets right now are pretty interesting, right? So with the, with the virus going on out there, we've seen weakness You know, in the first half of the year. We've seen strength. And now we're seeing like exhaustion and just kind of like things rolling over. What's going on, man? What What's the deal out there? What What can somebody who's new to charts just pick up and say, oh, here's here's a great place to start? Well, I think that there's a misconception about technical analysis um, and an over an complication when all we're really doing is identifying trends. Mm -hmm. And that's why technical analysis works because markets trend, right? Markets, we know for a fact, market returns don't fall under a normal distribution. Like there are hot streaks, like when a three point shooter is hot, feed him the ball. You know, when a pitcher is just dominating and striking out the side left and right, you don't take them out to put in a middle reliever so that you're a lefty's facing a righty or whatever nonsense the manager's coming up with in his head because these managers aren't pitchers. That's another story. My point is like, an object in motion tends to stay in motion, right? Isaac Newton and the market's the same way. You can give a chart to a four-year-old and say, which way is this one going? She's going to say, daddy is going up or <laughs> daddy is going down, right? But the smartest and wealthiest investors just skip that step. They, they, they want to buy a stock. They're like, all right, who's the CEO? What's their, you know, what's the multiple, you know, what's their book value, whatever it is that they're doing. And they're just completely skipping that very simple step of, which way is the stock going? Like just, mm -hmm. it'll take you half a second to be like, oh, it's going up. I guess the rest of the market agrees with me or man, this thing looks terrible. So do I know something that the market doesn't like, right? So uh, to me, uh, identifying trends is, is really where it all begins. 
And the, you know, people are, JC, what's the, your favorite technical indicator? Well, it's, it's price is my favorite technical indicator. It's the most valuable. And then anything else after that, whatever it is, maybe it's volume for you or momentum or relative strength, whatever it is you're looking at, something you created in your basement, you know, that's supposed to be this like signal or whatever. All of that stuff is a far, 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 far second from that first thing price. And, and if I can, if I can relay any message, it's, it's that. Dude, that makes so much sense. And I got to tell you, um, I, I learned how to trade from people who I don't understand why, but they were convinced trends were not a thing. And I know you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I saw it. <laughs> like, are they blind or like, yeah, I know, their right? Eyes? And so like when, when, when the price was going up, they'd be like, dude, you got to sell calls, right? Or when the price is going down, dude, you got to sell puts. And I'm like, okay. But then I reached a point where I was losing like crazy. And I'm like, there's something broken with this system. I can't keep throwing money away like this. And so I really took a step back and I started reading all these books and learning from all these different people. And one of those in particular was uh, Trend Following by Michael Covell. And in there, he specifically was like, hey, look, the way you make money is when the price goes up. And the price goes up or down if you're going short and the price goes up in a trend. So follow the trend and it makes your life so much simpler. And I'm like, whoa, thank you for just distilling it down to the basics. That's what I needed. Right. Oh. I got so lost in the weeds. And honestly, I, I was listening to the wrong people. And, uh, you know, that's that's why I really love having different perspectives and having them come on the show just like this. So, so JC, give us a little background. I think I, I, I skipped the part where you tell us about who you are and what you do. So I apologize for that. But give us a little background about who you are, where you came from, what you do, and, and how you got to this point. Yeah, Chris, I mean, listen, nobody cares about me. They want to know about the charts. They want to know about technical analysis. <laughs> um, yeah, let's start at the beginning. It was, it was a warm summer day. And, um, you know, for me, I grew up in Miami. You know, my family came from Cuba in the early 1960s. I was the first uh, one born in the country, um, you know, so I had a lot of opportunities that, you know, I wouldn't have had otherwise had my grandparents and parents not made the sacrifices that they did way back in the day. So, you know, I was a baseball player. Uh, if you can imagine a Cuban baseball player in Miami, I know that sounds wild to you, mm -hmm. uh, but I fit that description perfectly. I played ball my whole life. I got a good opportunity to play Division One. Uh, at Fairfield University uh, in Connecticut, which is conveniently located right in the hedge fund capital of the world, uh, uh, Fairfield County, where Greenwich, Connecticut is. So that's where I went to school. And I my interview uh, for my internship at Merrill Lynch was like a joke because like they had, it was kind of like a revolving door of Fairfield interns every summer. So my quote unquote interview was more of like an introduction. Oh yeah, so you're on the baseball team, you know, so-and-so. Oh yeah, I played golf with his father. Oh, you know, so-and-so. Oh yeah, they were our intern last summer. So it was more of like, uh, hey, nice to meet you. When can you start sort of mm -hmm. thing. So I was like, this is fantastic. The next thing I know, I'm 21 years old, living in New York City as an intern after my junior year of college, working for Merrill. It was quite obvious I hated Merrill Lynch and everything that it stood for. Um, and but and I tell this to all my interns and I tell this to people that are interning. You don't love the company that you work for. Right. If, it, if I mean, I mean, if you hate it, like that sucks. But like you don't have to like it doesn't have to be your career path. But if it can at least point you in the right direction, 
or open your eyes to something you didn't know before, that's the purpose. Like, it's not like you have to go internet marrow and then work there forever. I mean, it doesn't even exist anymore. So you can well deserved, right? They didn't deserve to exist anymore. But I knew I didn't want to work for them. I wanted to work for smarter, uh, smarter <laughs> Freudian slip, uh, uh, smaller firms in uh, for sure and get my hands dirty and start trading instead of just being a number at a big firm. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really opened my eyes to that. Um, and, you know, kudos to that summer and, and my bosses over at Merrill at the time. You know, I really fell in love with the markets. I mean, it was love at first sight. Uh, I, I was, you know, I was less interested in, in British literature than I was in mathematics and geometry. Right. So, you know, that sort of thing just kind of fit my personality and my profile, you know, just the, who I was and, I always think that athletes have a huge advantage in the business world overall, but certainly in the market with respects to discipline, mental toughness. You know, these are things that athletes thrive in or should anyway, the good ones do, um, because they've had to learn tough lessons the hard way. They've had to run sprints in the snow at six o'clock in the morning, hung over on a Sunday morning. You know, like no matter how bad my day is, Chris, and I, I have bad days and good days just like anybody else, but no matter how bad my day is, it's not going to be worse than those 6 a.m. morning sprints in the <laughs> snow on a Sunday when you just got home a couple hours prior. Nothing I do is going to be as bad as that. So I think and, and you talk to other former athletes and they have other funny, similar stories. So I think that really helps. And then um, so I hit that fork in the road uh, early on. And as Yogi Berra said, you know, when you when you hit the fork on the road, you take it. So it was like, all right, so do I learn fundamental analysis and learn about companies and study for my CFA? And this is, I'm like 23, 24 years old. Or do I study for my CMT and learn technical analysis and learn about stocks and trading? And at, at the time, it seemed quite obvious. I, I couldn't care less. Statements and balance sheets and fundamentals, fundamentals of companies that don't even have fundamentals. Like these people are doing, are, are trying to put multiples on companies with no earnings. Like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> So anyway, I didn't know this at the time. I, it just seemed obvious, uh, you know, study, study stocks and study technical analysis. So I got my CMT. Little did I know then how important that decision would ultimately be and how it would impact my career and, and really my life and the countries it would take me to all over the world and the people that I would meet. I mean, wow, what a great decision that was. And uh, so I started a blog in 2011, 2010, 2011. And um, 10 years later, that, that blog is probably the most widely followed technical analysis research of all time. Wow, that's really cool. You know, I totally agree with you as far as like the, the paths that you go across lead you to certain places, right? I, I had similar experiences. Uh, I started trading like in 2009. And I was doing leveraged ETFs, and <clears throat> I wasn't going anywhere with it, right? It would just basically Shocking. break even. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't lose all the account at that point. I lost it twice since then. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't going anywhere, and I just kind of shelved it for a while. And then when I was in a different job, I worked in corporate finance, and they were talking about Deutsche Bank one day, and they were like, it was a, a conversation I overheard between two, two colleagues, and they were saying, hey, if you think Deutsche Bank, go out and buy some puts. And I, I was like, what did you just say? And I was like, I know I've heard the word puts, but I just cannot remember at all what it was. So I was one of those nerds that kept all of my textbooks from college. And like I said, I worked in corporate finance. And so I had all the textbooks on my desk right there. And I pull out the one that talks about, um, I, I don't even remember. It was a finance textbook of some kind. But, you know, it's one of those textbooks from college where it was like 900 pages, right? You sit on a table and the whole earth shakes, right? Yeah. And on that, 
on that book, there were two tabs in it. And one of them was for bonds and the other one was for options. And I'm like, what are the chances? Like me from 10 years ago or whatever it was would know for that, right? And I flipped to that page and it talks about how puts grow in value as the stock price goes down. And I'm like, mind blown. I was like a whole new world that I should have remembered had left my brain and then just came back all at once. And I, I wouldn't have had that experience, which actually led to uh, me starting my company and doing my trading and starting the podcast and things like that. That led to like this exact moment. So you're totally right. When you have those those uh, forks in the road, you never know when uh, the opportunity will come across like that. Yeah, so that's really cool that you're sharing that. So, so you, at what point did you leave Merrill Lynch? Right? Was it? Was it was there just an in, internship. It was just. An, okay. It was just that summer. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what did you do at that point? You started out on your own, or you started working at smaller firms like you were looking for? Yep. So I just got my hands dirty. Um, I worked at a firm who's no longer. Last Rock and, um, you know, basically did everything, you know, help put together uh, different deals at different firms, um, trading, you know, we put together IPOs, um, took a few companies public, took this like uh, this juice company public, I remember that, that somehow worked out great. Some hippie guy in a basement, the stock went up like 10 times. I forgot the name of it. It was like a ginger beer or something like that. I forgot off the top of my head. So we just did a... It was just it really opened my eyes. But the one common denominator, like we took, uh, we were buying shares of Twitter and Facebook way before their IPO, really, really cheap valuations, like, you know, secretaries and chefs trying to get rid of their shares and things like that. And, you know, we'd bring it to private investors. Like it was really, really cool. But the real common denominator that whole time was technical analysis. I mean, that was really my bread and butter. So I started, uh, I went on my own, started a hedge fund in 2012. Um, you know, as you can imagine, being a general partner, uh, owning a general partnership at a hedge fund is very costly, very expensive. So here we are just, you know, people would be like, you know, I had a blog at the time and I was on TV every day and people were like, oh, why aren't you selling your research? And I was like, oh, I'll just raise a billion dollars. And they're like, all right, bro, good luck with that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then I'm having dinner with billionaires and billionaire hedge fund managers and I'm talking with them and I'm like, these are the struggles. And they're like, yeah, kid, that's the deal. And I'm like, so you were dealing with the same bullshit and the same struggle? And they're like, yep, that's just a rite of passage. You know, keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, so I'm not doing anything wrong. Like all this, this sucks. Like this is, this is the right way. They're like, yep. I'm like, all right. So like, I don't want to say I'm having dinner with billionaires all the time. It was two of them. But, um, you know, they were basically reinforcing that I was doing the right things, even though it was like quite the struggle. So I was like, all right, I'm doing the right things, but I'm not making any money. Investors mm -hmm. are making money. Attorneys are making a fortune. The accountants and the fund admins are making a killing. You know, everybody's winning but JC. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all. So I, uh, I had some friends, uh, still do, uh, in Detroit, uh, a company called Benzinga. And mm -hmm. in 2014 or 2013, they started like a, it was like a back-end provider where anybody who wanted to sell research on a subscription basis, basically you send it to them and they'd go sell it for you and then cut you a check. And they were like, JC, and they were just old drinking buddies of mine every time they were in New York, which seemed like all the time. They would just bring me up. You know, I my office was on Fifth Avenue and 44th Street, like where there are, I don't know, a thousand bars within a two block radius. So they were always in my neighborhood. Oh, meet us for a beer, meet us for a drink. All right, no problem. So they're always like busting my chops. Like, JC, give us something to sell. Look at this guy with his with his weed newsletter who's making like a hundred grand a month and this and that. And I was like, I don't know anything about weed newsletters, but like I'm doing all of this homework for the hedge fund. I'm the only one that looks at it. So like 
you guys sell it and make a few bucks for me, great. That'll help pay for the bills so that JC makes a little money too instead of everybody else around me. Um, and if you don't sell any, well, I still have to do the, the homework anyway. So, you know, I have nothing to lose. And then slowly but surely, like those checks turned into, um, you know, seven, 10, 15, 20,000 a month. I was like, okay, this is, this could be a real business. So that's when I was like, you know, uh, why don't I get, get out of town for a little bit? I moved to California with my girlfriend at the time. Now my wife and mother of my, uh, baby girl, um, but at the time she was my girlfriend. I was like, let's go, you know, we agree. Let's get the hell out of here. Go to California for a couple of years. We lived in Sonoma and then we'll move back to New York, relaunch the fund, but now we'll have a real business behind the research instead of, you know, some half-ass unfinished product, which is what it was at the time. And that two-year plan turned into five. Uh, we're now back on the East Coast. We still haven't relaunched the fund yet um, and because the research has just blown up uh, to... <laughs> to levels I, I never imagined were possible. Uh, we brought everything in house. You know, we have our, it's our own firm. We're not outsourcing anything. We brought in more analysts, more experts. You know, we've got guys building scripts in Moscow. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, this is like a real company now. Like this yeah. is like, uh, it's like really cool. You know, we have, we just hired our 16th employee. Um, I, I, when I get off with you, uh, I'm interviewing employees 17 and 18, which they already have the job and they don't know it yet. Um, but, uh, so we're going to be 20 employees soon and it's really been, you know, just such a blessing. Um, the whole, the whole thing between the blog and the podcast and the YouTube videos and, you know, all the experience that I had on all the TV networks. I used to host my own show on CNBC. I was on Fox Business all the time, Bloomberg. Like, I was really one of these media whores in, like, 2012, 13, 14, like, in my late 20s, early 30s. I mean, I was on TV practically every day, which, which really uh, taught me two things. Number one, you, you learn how the sausage is made. You, you know why it sucks so much, and nobody... Nobody can watch, it's, it, you know, today's financial television is unwatchable. Unless you're in a nursing home in a wheelchair and you just can't change the channel, you're the only ones watching this stuff, right? Like anybody young or with a brain can't sit there and, and listen to a bunch of white dudes in suits yelling at each other. Like, oh, come on, like nobody can watch that. So it <laughs> with, with all due respect. You know? so Wait, what? <laughs> it, it, yeah, right. Here we are. Um, so it, it taught me that, uh, it also taught me that, uh, it, I met a lot of people like in the green room, I'd just be hanging out in the green room waiting to go on TV and, and there would be, uh, you know, a billionaire just kind of hanging out in his like loafers and just kind of like, I'm like, Oh, um, wow. That's, that's David Tepper. You know, um, that's pretty cool. That guy's my hero. And he's sitting to me. I should probably say hi. So, uh, you know, I met a lot of people, you know, backstage and stuff like that, which was really cool. Um, same thing with like conferences that I would get invited to also. Um, but then it also taught me that it, it's not, it, it didn't help my business, right? People think like, oh, if you were on TV, then, oh, that's great for business, good marketing. All it really is, is like, you could tell your mom, hey, mom on TV. Like that's really the extent of the benefits of that. Unless they're paying you a lot of money, which usually they're not. Um, in some cases, people have like ridiculous contracts. Like if you only knew the contracts that some of these contributors had, they don't do what they did before, but a lot of them are still grandfathered in. But the point is it, it, nobody's watching. Like you, you could see the traffic. Like I wouldn't get a spike in traffic when I would 
host my own show or, you know, be on this network or whatever it is. So it was really just a complete waste of time. So mm. number one, I have to go out of my way in the middle of the afternoon to go on TV and then nobody's watching and there's no benefits. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So when I was leaving to California, I was like, you know, what are the, what are the pot, what are the pros? What are the cons? And you know, one of the cons I thought at the time was that I wasn't going to do a TV anymore, you know, or, or rarely I was on TV probably maybe once a month as opposed to three, four times a week, uh, because I would go into San Francisco every now and then and do some stuff. But, uh, the truth is it, it was very eye opening, uh, all of those experiences. And I figured just do my own thing. We'll just do our own videos. Uh, we'll do our own podcasts and you know, if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. Uh, but we're going to do what we want. I'm going to interview the people I want to talk to. I'm going to do YouTube videos about what I want to do videos about. And it's it, it became a very selfish endeavor um, where we're just trying to make ourselves laugh. If you don't mm -hmm. think it's funny, that's okay. Um, other people do, apparently. And, um, you know, that it's just been so awesome and so refreshing, you know, to not have somebody looking over my shoulder or somebody – or somebody telling me, yeah, JC, nobody cares about soybeans. Why don't you look at a chart of Apple again, <laughs> you know, right? So uh, it, it, the whole experience uh, not only has taught me the way the sausage is made, but has really taken me around the world and opened my eyes to that global marketplace. The world does not revolve around New York City. Well, now it definitely doesn't. But mm -hmm. even before the virus, it did not. And people thought that the world revolved around Midtown Manhattan and could have been further from the truth. And you know, the whole thing is I went to I've been to India a handful of times, Tokyo a bunch of times, Singapore twice, Hong Kong twice. You know, I've spoken all over Europe, London, Amsterdam, Athens. Um, uh, where else have I spoken? Um, definitely forgetting some people. And they're going to be like, JC, you didn't mention that you were here. Um Needless to say, uh, throughout Europe, uh, and, and it's it, and again, when you're out there, how many people are you meeting and how many people are you interacting with? Now, all of a sudden, I'm in Amsterdam and I'm in a room with 20 traders in Amsterdam that I've never met. And mm -hmm. in most cases, you know, maybe only a few of them knew who I was then. Now they all do, you know, and slowly but surely you keep doing that. Now you've got, you know, I could pretty much go to any major city in the world and I've got friends there that'll drop what they're doing and go meet me for beers or go to dinner or whatever. So it's pretty, really, really cool. Man, what, what a great story. And, and to hear all of that, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize you had such a, an extensive media past like that. In fact, uh, you might recognize this, uh, this background that I have here uh, was intentionally uh, copied. Uh, in, in a, well, I shouldn't say copied. It was intentionally modeled to look like uh, certain Ins backgrounds on inspired by it was inspired by that's right it was not a uh, screen capture and copy no none of that <laughs> but yeah I mean honestly that was my goal um, was to get on CNBC like you're, you're talking about there that was what I was set out to do in fact I had met uh, a few different people who had worked on CNBC and a couple of them were like hey listen nobody trades options and I'm like Okay. But they were like, nobody trades options. What you talk about doesn't matter. Uh, you shouldn't even try and uh, get on CNBC. And so I, I kind of took that to heart for a while. And then I got to thinking like, I'll just do my own thing. So that's where the podcast kind of started. And so that was in December 2017, I think, or December 2018. Either way, it was in December of 20, it was 2019. No. 
28 December 2018. By May 2019, it was in the top 10 in the iTunes investing category. And it reached uh, number seven. And I'm like, how in the world is this happening? It's just me talking about my own things, right? And just exactly like you were talking about, it's following your passion, talking about what you're passionate about. And if it happens to be soybeans instead of apple, you have the permission to talk about whatever floats your boat today. And I think that's that's really cool to uh, to hear your story and to hear all of that that went behind there. So at what point when you're, you're, you're making your own content here, um, is your podcast uh, a video podcast too, like this one, or is it just audio? Um, we'll, we'll do videos and, and, and rip the audio and turn that into a podcast. We'll do right. some of that stuff. Originally the podcast just started up as straight interviews. Like I would just call up my favorite technical analyst and we'd talk about the market. That's really how it started. And then it sort of evolved into a combination of that, right? I still do that of course. Um, and started bringing in, uh, a, you know, maybe regular series. So I have a, a somebody named Phil Perlman. He's a doctor. He's a psychologist. And we talk about behavioral finance. We call it oh, the money cool. game. But it's kind of like a podcast within a podcast, mm -hmm. if you will. It's sort of like a running sort of segment, maybe once a month where I bring in Phil and we just rap about something behavior-wise um, that we both find interesting. And again, very selfish endeavor. Some people sometimes are like, the hell are these clowns? talking about and that's okay right like if you don't like what we have to say or you don't understand it or it you know it doesn't mean anything to you like that's cool right like it, it's totally totally fine it's not one of these situations where you know a network would call me like all right jc you're scheduled to come on tomorrow what do you want to talk about and then i would be like well let's talk about treasury bonds let's talk about materials breaking out let's talk about soybeans and let's talk about you know yield curve they're like, eh, why don't you talk about Apple? Or How why don't Apple, you pull up Tesla, a chart of the S&P 500? Right. <laughs> you know, like, it was like, you know, why are you even asking me, right? Why are you even asking me? Like, you're asking me, like, you make it so nice. Like, oh, what are you seeing out there, trader? And then I tell you, and then you don't give a damn. So just tell me you want me to look at a chart of the S&P 500 and, be, and continue your boring, you know, show. Because it's the same, you know, like... It, it was really, really eye-opening. And I'm not trying to pick on any one network or anything like that. Like, that's that's not what I'm trying to do here at all. In fact, I really appreciate all of the times that I had there. And I have a lot of friends that are hosts of a lot of these shows. In fact, the reason I do any of these shows to this day is because I'm friends with producers and the hosts of the show. So I'm not. I'm never going to say no to them, right? So uh, I have. they're great people for the most part. Uh, that And so my entire experience in the media side, it was a great experience with the people, uh, but learning how the sausage is made and seeing why it's so bad and unwatchable, that was the real lesson. Mm, interesting. Okay. So so now you've got your your company, you've, you're, you're doing well. It sounds like you were working with Bazinga. You've got your podcast going on. Um, at what point did you start All Star Charts? So this was a blog in 2011. So I mean, that was, was the blog. Okay. Yeah, it was a Twitter handle in 2009. So I'm I'm uh, incredibly fortunate to have been literally at the genesis of what today is known as FinTwit, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like financial Twitter, you know, financial social media, like that whole FinTwit thing. My friends built it, right? Like this started off as happy hours in Soho. As the, as the stock market was crashing in 2008, 2009, that was the start of Fintwit. These were my good friends who started this whole thing. So I was just kind of like, 
a guy there for the beers, you know, like I didn't know what it was going to turn into and this massive network, you know, com everybody communicating with one another and sharing ideas and learning from each other and then the trolls and like I didn't know it was going to turn into this monster. I just mm -hmm. thought it was cool. Like, oh, wow, these people care about the things that I care about and they want to get drunk and talk about it. I could do that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I'm like in my late 20s living in New York City. Like, this is fantastic. And then everybody was starting a blog because there weren't many blogs at the time. Um, but because after the financial crisis, investors learned two things. They couldn't trust Wall Street and they couldn't trust the financial media because both missed missed it completely mm -hmm. and did a terrible job of helping investors along the way. So the fact that we couldn't trust traditional financial media and finally everybody realized that and we couldn't trust Wall Street and finally everyone realized that we should have known prior. But that was the, the, the aha moment. That was the start of FinTwit. And that's when it was like, wow. We can't trust this cheesy TV channel with all their commercials and their vector vests or whatever. We have to go to this blog because this guy used to work at the Federal Reserve and this guy is the expert in that. Mm -hmm. And then that other guy, he's the expert in bonds. So anytime we need to learn about bonds, we're not going to go to this newspaper or to that TV channel. We're going to go to this guy's blog and he's going to be writing what we need to know about bonds. And then the, in terms of psychology and behavior, this gal, she's the best in the business. And these, these buffoons on this TV, they don't even know she exists. And she's sharing all this priceless information on her blog. Yeah. And those turn into podcasts and then YouTube videos. And that was really, and it just became a spider web effect from there. So rather than going to some generalized, you know, meet, old, old fashioned media outlet, we started going directly to the source and not just me. I mean, everybody obviously started going directly to the source and that inspired others. Be like, wow, this guy's an expert in this and he's getting all this traffic and he's meeting all these people and benefiting. I'm an expert in that. I'm going to start writing about that, right? Some, some more financial advisors and they write about the financial advisor industry. Some are venture capitalists and investors in fintech. So that's what they write about. So for me, I was a technical analyst, right? I was already a CMT at the time. Uh, I, I completed that in 2008, in the summer of 2008. Talk about perfect timing. And then my friends were like, JC, why don't you have a blog? I'm like, I don't know. Why don't <laughs> I have a blog? And I, I don't even know how to build that. Like, what is that? And they're like, oh, we'll just build it for you. Don't worry about it. We do it all the time. I'm like, okay. So next thing I know, they give me a username and a password. They're like, go. Okay. And that was 10 years ago. That was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's really interesting to hear all these uh, these different stories that you've got, JC. Like, I didn't realize the uh, the uh, the library that I was walking into here. I feel like we need to make a, a part two on this, JC. I feel like we've only scratched the surface here. So, so JC, let's, let's leave the, the audience so with this some... one time it was like three in the morning and I'm stumbling down times square. No, <laughs> you know what? We need a story time with JC is what it sounds like <laughs> every Thursday from now on story time with JC. No, but really, um, this has been a lot to unpack. And, uh, before we go, I think we should give the audience something, something tangible, something takeaway, right? You mentioned earlier on, right as we started about how price really is the best indicator, right? And, and I totally agree with that. Um, I am personally one who I really like to follow like maybe one or two exponential moving averages. And I try and keep things clean and simple. And if it's going up 
and it's above, let's say, like the 15-day exponential moving average, and I'm selling put spreads behind it. I'm just going to let it run and, and let it do its thing. And I, I mean, I boil it down to my trading is as simple as that. How would you boil your trading down to? For me, it's a weight of the evidence approach. I, by the time I decide that we want to buy Abbott Labs, 95% of the reason we're buying Abbott Labs has nothing to do with the chart of Abbott Labs. Really? Right? It has to do with the other 5,000 charts that I looked at that week, right? So when you're asking me, hey, JC, what do you think about Microsoft? The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what every stock market in the world is doing. Everything from Canada and Australia and Europe and Japan and Singapore to the emerging markets from uh, Pakistan uh, to Brazil and Russia and India. We're going to go over every index because when we look at stocks, we don't just look at American stocks. We look at stocks as an asset class. Mm. Then I'm going to do the same thing for every futures contract in the world and not just crude oil, gold, natural gas, and silver, but corn, soybeans, wheat, cardamom futures in India, um, palm oil futures in Malaysia. If there's a contract, it's on our radar. And we're going to do the same thing with probably the top 60 currency crosses in the world. Everything from Euro, Yen, Aussie, Tanaki, Saki, and everything in between. And then we're going to do the same thing for the interest rate markets in about 25 to 30 of the largest, most important markets in the world. Then, in, and also, all of the intermarket relationships between all of those asset classes. Mm -hmm. And it's not until after we've done all those things that we'll come to the United States and we'll start at the index level. We're looking at the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, Russell, all of the ones that you know, but also the value line index, the IPO index, the momentum index, all of these other, you know, the value line stuff, all these with the Wilshire 5,000, the S&P 1500, pretty much every index that exists in America. Then we're going to go through every sector. So utilities, financials, energy, technology, communications, discretionaries, all 11 or 12 of them, however many it is now, materials, and then... When you look at the sector, you're also going to break it down to the industry level. So in other words, when we're looking at energy, what, what about what's in energy? Oil, oil services, refining stocks, explorers and producers. When we talk about financials, sure, you have financials as a sector, but underneath that, you have the insurance stocks, the dealers, you've got the regional banks, you've got the managed asset companies, right? When you look at healthcare, you've got uh, pharma, you've got biotechnology, you've got uh, medical equipment, right? You have vastly different types of industries within a sector. And then and only then do we look at the components of a particular industry group. So by the time we say we like Abbott Labs, it's probably because we like stocks as an asset class. We like U.S. stocks. We like healthcare. Within that, we like medical devices. And it just so happens that Abbott Labs, ABT, presents the best risk versus reward opportunity to express that given thesis in the marketplace. So by the time we say ABT is our favorite buy, I'm not saying it is right now, but it has in the past, of course, again, a lot of, most of that, 95% of that has to do nothing with the actual chart of uh, Abbott Labs. Wow. That is really interesting. And that's like the opposite of the way I trade. And you know what's great about that is that you and I both arrived to the same place eventually and we do it in our own means to give us the most confidence in the trades that we're putting on. And I find that fascinating, right? Like, that that's so interesting. And, and honestly, that may be some of the stuff that I need to start integrating in my trading is looking at more broader picture, especially since you're talking about going worldwide and, and everything else too. 
So I thought, wow, that that's really, really cool. Thank you for going through all the, like you said, quote, 5,000 other charts to get to the one before we decide uh, to buy it there. Really, really cool. I've written a short guide on how you can use the triple stock profit system. It's the secret weapon every investor needs right now to change your financial future. And you can get it for free by visiting triplestockprofits.com or in the links below. Also, if you want to join a community of traders just like you, you can get free access to the elite membership that has even more resources to help you trade faster and trade smarter. All right. Well, JC, let me tell you, I, I really appreciate this conversation and I feel like there's a lot more that we could uh, pull out of you. So I want to schedule another a follow-up show with you. We'll do that offline, but I really yeah. appreciate your time because this was this was good, man. That's why I love having people on. There's so much to learn out there, not just learn, but all these stories to hear. And these stories can translate into lessons. And I think that's really cre key and critical and one of the reasons I love having guests on. So thank you, JC, for your time. Happy to do it, man. Hey, and good luck with your next employees there. It sounds like you got a full house coming in. They don't even know. They don't even know yet. They don't even know what they're getting themselves into. Well, thank you again, JC. And thank you guys for tuning into today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade fast and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimInnesStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimInnesStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10 legal. And thanks for stopping by.